This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the 1912 Exiles podcast, the only Newport County podcast made by the fans for the fans. I'm Ed, and tonight it is a pleasure to welcome back to the pod Esme Cooper. Hello, Esme. I think this is your third appearance of the season, is that right? Yeah, it's my third time. Thank you for having me. Excellent, thank you. Um, And we were due to be joined by the pod OG, Rhys Warren, but unfortunately he is under the weather. So get well soon, Rhys. Best wishes for a speedy recovery. And in his place, at less than an hour's notice, and proving that not all heroes wear capes, but they do wear Newport County replica shirts, we have Mr Oliver Allen making his second pod in as many weeks. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing? Good evening, Ed. It's uh, quite big shoes to fill for Rhys, but um, I will tackle it the best I can. Excellent. Well, much appreciated. Um, We have an awful lot to cover today, both on and off the pitch. So we're going to be very businesslike. We're going to stick to our agenda and we're going to try and plough through it all, not least because we have a very important announcement for you at the end of the pod, um, and we will come on to that uh, a little bit later. Um, Also later on, we will talk about the defeat at home to Sutton, which obviously is at the forefront of all of our minds, but there's been an awful lot of other stuff that's been happening first, um, including, yeah, some very important changes off the pitch, and I, I thought it might be nice to kick off by talking about uh, some of those. So maybe let's start off by talking about the departure this week just gone of uh, Darren Kelly as sporting director. Um, perhaps not entirely unexpected, but I wondered what the the panel think uh, we can glean from the decision to let go of Darren Kelly as sporting director. Will uh, Coco have any help with transfer dealings now what does it mean for the the kind of one system plan for all levels at the football club uh Esme I'll come to you first what what were your thoughts I think it was a good move from the club I think he he did well in bringing in good players but obviously January was all Cochrane's players so I think having Darren Kelly go is a good move to be fair yeah I mean there were lots of mutterings about his his legendary database which seemed to throw up an awful lot of 
Cardiff City, former Cardiff City Youth Academy uh, players last summer, but that may or may not have been uh, James Robery's call rather than Kelly's. And then, yeah, as you say, the key signing in the January window was Charlesley, um, who again, you know, that's that's down to Copland, who's worked with him previously. So was that? Do you think where it kind of unravelled a bit, Ollie, that that fundamentally we had a sporting director who who perhaps uh, didn't wield the the final decision in transfer dealings as much as maybe the board had imagined. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a complicated subject to talk about in regards to what Darren Kelly's role within the club was exactly. We all know he was a sporting director, but we don't know if it was his first choice of players, if it was the fifth choice, if it was the tenth choice. We don't really know to what extent he was involved with the recruitment and contract negotiations. So it is always a bit hard to say, oh, he's done a bad job or oh, he's done a good job. Um, personally, I don't think a League Two club needs a sporting director, but I can appreciate the vision that the board had and kind of what they were attempting to do with the model. But if it was then to me, I don't think we would need to appoint another sporting director as soon by how well Graham Cochrane has done in terms of recruitment in the January window. It'd be interesting to see whether we get some honest reflection from the board about it. Because, I, I mean, I'm with you. It may well be that we now take the decision, well, perhaps we, we don't need that after all. We need is a manager who's got good contacts and we just back them to, to make the right decisions. But, like I say, a bit of reflection about it to say, well, we... We brought in Darren Kelly. These were the reasons why we felt it was necessary. And, you know, after a season with with him kind of leading on some of that stuff, actually now the, these are the reasons why we think we don't need that anymore. Um, just to, I guess, explain the, the rationale. And we don't need to know every single thing that goes on inside the club. But I think that would be one where some communication from the board would, um, would go a long way. Uh, and speaking of the board... Uh, again, in the week just gone, it's been, yeah, been a busy week. Uh, we had the confirm the confirmation of the involvement in the boardroom of uh, John Pratt, a successful businessman originally from Newport, who's been co-opted onto the board. Um, uh, according to the Argus, his appointment means an addition of business acumen rather than financial investment at this stage. So what do we make of this, Ollie? Is this a, a kind of halfway house towards some money being available for transfer dealings or are people making too much of this? What do you reckon? It's certainly a very interesting appointment and it's definitely an interesting step in the whole John Pratt takeover saga that was started a few months ago where he took to Facebook to announce his intentions to try and get a deal over the line for the ownership of the club. Um, I'm taking it on face value of what the Argus and what the club have said, and that is Don Pratt has come onto the board to bring his um, business acumen and whatever ideas come with that. You kind of look at it and you feel like there's the right intentions. He is a Newport lad. He comes over to Watts Games. He has um, a genuine passion for the club. So you would hope that in the decisions that he makes and the kind of moves that he may present to the other board members is one which is of good intention. Yeah, I agree with Ollie. I think it is a decent move from the board. I think as he's a Newport lad, he's going to have passion. So 
you're going to hope that is got the club's best interests at heart. But yeah, I think it will be good to see what um, business he could bring to the club and potentially financial in the future. Hopefully, that would be good. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be the case next season that there are going to be more clubs at our level who've got money to spend. So Gillingham have already been splashing the cash. You know, Walsall, I think, have, have got more and more money coming in. Potentially next season, you might have Wrexham knocking about. Um, so, yeah, whilst I am the biggest advocate there is of, of fan ownership and um, fan-led clubs, um, if there is a, a Newport fan with money to spend and he wants to put some of it into Newport County, and more to the point, if we can also tap into some of his business acumen, which um, seems to be what the Argus was suggesting, then, yeah, that's that's no bad thing. But um, as I understand it, there can't be any change of ownership without us trust members being able to sign off on it. And so I guess as things develop and as he perhaps gets a bit more comfortable with um, understanding the finances of the club and the business model and everything else, we may get some more dialogue in due course about what the what the next steps might be. But yeah, for now, having him co-opted onto the board, I think is yeah can only be a good thing. So, so let's look at things on the pitch. Um, amidst all of that tumult of the last week, we've had uh, yeah a couple of away games since we last spoke. That uh, creditable draw at Walsall, followed by another. Mickey-inspired late win um, away at Hartlepool's on Tuesday night in front of, what was it, 122 heroes who travelled up uh, to to watch that one. Now, obviously, those results are tempered a bit by the loss uh, to Sutton, which we'll come on to. But if you take a step back and look at all of those results since that fortnight off that we had after the uh, Carlisle defeat, when things were all a bit gloomy, uh, during February, we played six games and amassed 11 points from a potential 18, so three wins and, and two draws. Esme, that's, that's solid form, isn't it? Clearly, it's it's pulled us out of the danger zone. Um, and to use Coco's analogy, was February the month where we graduated from crawling and into walking? Yeah, I think it is, really. I think um, that two weeks where we had no games was really good for us to recover kind of get more training in and get the squad well with the new sign-ins, get the squad all together with the new sign-ins. And I think the two losses and three wins is really, really promising. It's good to see that we're playing a bit better and we're getting these results and we're not in a danger zone where we're fighting for relegation, which I think a lot of people were worried about during January. But it is good to see that we're on a bit of a bounce back. Yeah, I mean, after that Carlisle defeat, there there was a little bit of um, hyperbole in response to, to that game from a few quarters. But certainly, yeah, it was a poor game. We made a couple of, of errors and we were schooled by a, a team who are doing really well and now are well and truly in the promotion hunt. The key from that was that we needed to learn some lessons. And yeah, having... Um, the Wimbledon game called off and then that, that week we had free, um, I think, yeah, gave us a bit of time. Charlesley coming in was obviously a, a big deal um, and it seems to have just given us the time and the space to then grind out some, some yeah, very, very good results. Um, what, what do you make of it, Ollie? Um, I'm, I'm very much in agreement with you two. I think having that two-week window without the game was probably the turning point in the season. Um, 
not just for the point of Copland had that time with the players on the pitch and uh, and the ability to bring in Harry Charlesby, but it also kind of stopped the rot of poor form. You know, we had two weeks where we didn't lose game through the virtue of not playing a game, but it kind of allowed us to reset, refresh and go into the Swindon game with a bit more of a clear mind, a bit more of a relaxed mood and clearly paid off for that winning game and I feel like ever since then we've had a bit more confidence, we've had a bit more bump in tempo and we're playing a lot better than we did to probably the first half of the season. Um, and th- before we come on to, to Sutton, the other significant news item that warrants probably discussion in its own right was yesterday when we heard that um, Adam Lewis suffered a hamstring injury and that's put him out until the end of the season. So we we terminated his loan period and he's gone back to Liverpool. Ollie, he's grown on all of us as a player. I think we've talked a lot before about his work rate, his his love of slide tackles, which has endeared him to, to me, certainly, and, and others as well. Do you think there's any chance we might get him back again next season? They do always see never fall in love for the loan player. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's had 28 appearances for the club during his loan spell. Um, 21 of them coming in the league and he started off a little bit shaky and he was a competent player but he really took off and as you mentioned he brought in those slide tackles that really pumped up the crowd and endeared him to us so it is going to be a massive loss for the rest of the season it's going to be a massive shame not to see him wear black and amber again and I can only wish him the best wherever he ends up next season yeah, absolutely. I, I think we'd all agree with that. I, I have, I'm going to just keep holding this hope in my heart that somehow we could say to Liverpool, look, we, we just started to get the best out of him. Another season with us in this division um, and he could, he could really tear it up. But I suspect you're right. I suspect he'll probably be flying his trade a, a division higher. Um, and Esme, it, it leaves us without many options at left back. Um, Aaron Lewis got the nod. Yesterday, but one of the things a lot of people were talking about on uh, on Twitter and on the message board was whether we might see Will Evans get a, a run in that left wing back slot at, at some point. I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it would be good to see him in different positions. I think he definitely is capable as a player, but I think Aaron Lewis definitely can see he's very comfortable in that position. And I think if we just gave Will a couple of goes in that position, I think he could come out as a good left back but yeah it is really sad to see Adam Lewis go he was really well respected he was a brilliant player really wasn't he yeah yeah I've got to say I'd love to see Will Evans have a little run at left wing back partly because for me that's his best position you know I know we we've got used to seeing him as a striker but his goal return hasn't been great whereas I think his work rate lends itself to being very good in that position. And more to the point, if you play Will Evans at left wing back, that then means you could put Aaron Lewis in in centre mid, which, again, I think he's starting to show that that perhaps is a better position for him. So I saw um, Coco in the Argus suggesting that, yeah, he perhaps sees Will Evans as a a square peg in a round hole at at left wing back. But I don't know, I I just have this feeling that maybe we gave him a, a bit of a run of, you know, four or five games there, um, we might see a very different player in that position from when we tried him there earlier on in the season when he was still adapting to this level. Adam Lewis's contract with Liverpool is at this summer, so 
whether he decides to extend it there or look elsewhere for opportunities to maybe get into a first team side for a, a club in South Wales playing in black and amber. Who mm-hmm. knows? But that that may be one more part to the story tale of he might come back and really finish off the job that he's he started. Well, let's dream. Let's dream. Right, we can't put it off any longer. Let's let's talk about that defeat yesterday um, at home to Sutton. Um, yeah, County undone twice, um, and we'll we'll talk about the goals in a moment. But perhaps before we do, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on the the starting eleven because I did a bit of a kind of double take at, at that for a few reasons. Firstly, I thought Day being preferred to Townsend was an interesting one, and I, I was a bit surprised that we we made that change given the Townsend has looked decent to my eyes at least uh, we then selected uh, Matt Country Vile Baker um, as a defensive central midfielder in the sort of Bennett role um, and then Bennett played further forward um, which I thought again was perhaps not something I had expected to see although I think we had tried it at, at Hartlepool's and then um, Sanzala and McNeil uh, up top with things being rotated there again so I don't know. What do you make of it, Esme, when you saw the the lineup come out? Yeah, I think similar to you. I think it was quite a quite a surprise, really. I think I, a lot of people feel that Townsend would be better than Day. I think Day can make some silly mistakes that often cost us and often leaving things too late. But yeah, I think it was an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, it struck me that was quite a defensive lineup. Yeah, we, there, there was not. We weren't exactly bursting with creativity in the middle of the park, and I assume the logic for that was we were up against a um, a certain team on uh, a run of form every bit as good as our own, and we just wanted to try and nullify them for as long as possible, and then maybe bring our creative options uh, off the bench and see if we could then try and, and force the game later on, which. Uh, what, is it the Muhammad Ali? The quote is from you know every, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the nose. Um, and for the third consecutive half in a home game, we we got punched in the nose by conceding a goal early on. I think it was eight minutes on the on the clock. I know fans and some of the players were aggrieved at that corner that was given, but that's no excuse for not de- defending it properly. Um, Ollie, why are we starting games so poorly at the moment? We talked about it at Stevenage, of course. And another thing we spoke about at Stevenage was also the, um, our approach to set pieces and both <laughs> taking and trying to defend them. And uh, it's like we said, it's either we're great with the set pieces or we're terrible with them. I think the second game was yet another example of us being terrible with the set pieces. Um, it just feels like it takes us 10, 15 minutes to kind of get our feet into the game and get settled. And if the opposition can kind of notice that and make the most out of that 10-minute window, bag themselves a goal, they have relatively ease uh to see the game out and manage it to how they wish. So it was weird though, because even though when we went 1-0 down, you think back to that Stevenage game and you go, we could still get a goal and we can still get back into this. But it just feels like one of those days where, you know, every little thing goes wrong and maybe on a different day we come away with a point or three points. But 
it just felt like we was lacking that concentration. We got punished for it, and then we just couldn't get back into the game. We did play some better football as that half went on, but it, you're doing it when you're on the back foot and you're up against a team who can afford to perhaps sit a little deeper because they've they've already got the goal. And although we created chances, you know, Zanzala had that uh, one-on-one when he, it was almost like he had too much time to think about it. You know, if, he, if he'd gone straight through and just had to shoot instinctively, I think he probably scores it. But he had that, I don't know, two, three seconds of trying to decide where to put it and and then in the end just put it straight to the keeper. Um, but I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about um, his strike partner, Charlie McNeil, because I was texting Reese during the game and he and I disagreed over the merits of, of Charlie McNeil. I think Reese felt that, that he'd had a, a strong first half and tailed off a bit, whereas so I was pretty unimpressed throughout. I think my words were all sizzle and no sausage. And I've seen similar differences of opinion, differences of opinion on, on the message board as well. He seems to be dividing opinion a little bit. Ollie, what, what do you make of our Manchester United starlet so far? Firstly, what I do want to say is, as an avid listener of the podcast, I was wondering when the food-related countdown <laughs> would come out this season. I'm, um, I'm glad we've written the quota in, in that area. Um, with Charlie the Sausage McNeil, I'm not sure how he'll take to that nickname, but um, that's for another part, I believe. Um, he's certainly got an impressive record at youth level, and we've had situations where we have um, strikers come into the club with impressive um, records at youth level or Premier League 2. Uh, one that comes to mind is Rob Street, and he was very promising for Crystal Palace, um, came to us and he was okay, but not a natural born goal scorer. And you do have those parallels with Charlie McNeil. Um, he he looks like a bit of a raw talent and it's quite obvious to see that because he's been loaned out to a League 2 club. They're not expecting a finished product. They're not expecting you know a 20 goal a season striker, but there are just a few more a few elements in this game where you think, oh, that could be done a little bit better. Is it a, a, a matter of he's not had enough time at the club or he's not had enough time on the training ground with Copland? It's yet to see, but you never really want to write off a player, especially a young one, to say, no, you're at the draft, you're not going to do anything. You just have that, have a little bit of hope that he will come good in the kind of April, start of May time. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't write him off at all. I, I think it comes back to what we said when we signed him, which is often when you get a loan player from a top-flight club, often it's like their second loan spell somewhere where they really kick on. You know, the first loan spell is just them adapting to men's football because it is so different from academy football. And it's the the second spell where perhaps they start to really perform because they, they kind of, they've assimilated some of that. Um, knowledge and, and experience and I don't know for me I just think like Kavanagh looks like a much more impressive all-round package whereas McNeil you know he can do some nice flicks and tricks but I don't know it's almost it's almost like he's waiting for the perfect chance to, to come his way rather than forcing the issue a little bit but I'm, I'm, I'm maybe being massively unfair obviously everyone's going to have a lot of hope for him coming from such a big club but 
my, me and my dad were discussing yesterday, you can see that he is still adapting to being in like men's football. You can see he's still trying to do the, like you said, the flicks and the tricks, like you get in an academy game. And obviously that is all well and good, but when you're up against a side like Sutton, it's you don't have time to be doing things like that. You've got to be quick thinking, getting the ball across the pitch. And personally, I didn't think that that was a strong performance from him. I think I can see the potential. And as the rest of the season goes along and he's getting more experience and he's working with the team, he will get a lot better. But yeah, like you were saying, I think second loan spell is definitely, will miss out on that. Like I said, I don't want to be too down on him and I nothing would give me greater pleasure than for him to go and bag said loads of goals in the next month and, uh, and for me to have to apologise to him on the podcast. So if he does that, I will be um, only too happy. I just, the best strike partnership at the moment is probably either Zanzala or Bogle, but with with Cavanara up top with them. And I think I'd like to see McNeil perhaps having to come on the bench as a, an impact sub. So, I mean, obviously, overall, it was a, a defeat yesterday, but I think it felt as though everyone was fairly nuanced about it afterwards. You know, people understood this. We, we lost to a side whose form was just as good as ours coming into it. Coco, I think, called it uh, a game too far, um, given the recent heavy schedule that we just mentioned. I mean, that that feels about right to me. We we didn't necessarily play brilliantly, but we certainly didn't look like a side who are about to crumble and go on a terrible losing run. It was really disappointing to lose after having such a good streak, but it was inevitable that it was going to come. I think we we looked like a strong side, especially after the first goal conceded. I, we didn't let that get to us. We were still going strong. I think the second goal, especially, that was the one that hit us the hardest. I think... I didn't think the subs were very creative yesterday. I think the idea was there but I didn't really see much come from it really. The I thought Mariah Welsh came on and looked looked really good but it's hard when you're coming on trying to change a game when you're already behind. I think if if the game plan had worked um, and we were able to bring Mariah Welsh on with 70 minutes with it at nil-nil I think you know then you're looking at a really different impact especially if you've also got Bogle and Kavanagh up front as well fresh legs and everything it felt like I thought he covered an awful lot of ground, but it was, yeah. yeah, he was up against it, I thought. He was definitely the strongest sub that came on yesterday. It was a shame that Zanzala had to come off yeah. so quickly. I think Sutton were really all over him because he's such a strong player, isn't he? But, um, yeah, it was just disappointing to concede two. I don't think the first one, personally, from my view, I don't think that was a corner. no, but, no. no. I don't, think any, just... I don't think any county fan in the ground thought it, it was a good <laughs> no. It's just once it's been given, you, you've got to yeah. defend it. And I think we just kind of switched off, really. We, we were too busy arguing the, the case yeah. rather than uh, marking the player at the back post. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, we lost out on quite a few fouls that could have been given as free kicks. I think the ref was quite switched off when it came to us, but switched on when it was Sutton on the floor. What did you make of the ref, Ollie? Because I, I thought he gave the impression of someone who just decided, right, I'm not going to get sucked into giving niggly little fouls. I'm going to try and let the game flow as much as possible. Now, the, the downside of that is that, you know, whenever he, he does that against you, you feel uh, infuriated that he's not, you know, given a foul that you felt you were owed. But... 
as a uh, objectively i thought it was like he was trying to let the game flow as much as possible but yeah there were a couple of incidents there was one where i think it was i think it was zanzala who you know it was a clear shirt pull you know you could see it a mile off right from the back of the hazel stand you know and things like that not getting given the crowd then got on his back and i, I don't know but I, I could almost see what he was trying to do but it didn't quite come off yeah i don't think um, there is a referee within the EFL which every fan will give a glow and a praise of. I think it's certainly a thing of when the referee gives your team a decision, you love him, and then when he gives the opposition a decision, he's he's the worst thing on the pit. I think I've just been ground down by EFL refs to this point. I do think the linesman on the Hazel Terrace side got quite a lot wrong in both halves, especially with the corner, but then... Um, I think we had one offside call, um, which looked on to me. But, you know, they're never really going to win it with a ref. And there are some fans who will complain about that. But I think personally, you've just got to crack on. And if the ref doesn't give you the decision, you've got to pull yourself up and dust yourself down and just try and make the most of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... and- to kind of zoom out, Ollie, because yeah, before the game, I, I was chatting with you and, and Stu in the in the concourse, and I can't remember whether it was. I think it might be Stu who was saying it that it felt like the sort of game yesterday where the the good run was perhaps going to come to an end because you know Sutton are, are a good team, but there's no real shame in in any of that. You know, we've like I say, the the run of results we've had has been you know very solid mid table um, form, if not even slightly better than that. You know, but. We, we weren't going to carry on unbeaten for the rest of time. We were at some point going to lose a game, probably losing Sutton, not the end of the world. Uh, it, like I say, it wasn't the best performance of the season, but there there were some positives in there. And what's the thing that you take from it that's a positive? And what's the thing that you, if you were on the training ground with them tomorrow morning, you'd be wanting to kick their arse about? You kind of look at the fixes we got with um, Salford, Grimsby, uh, Bradford coming up, and you think this is probably the matchup. We are going to lose. There's a reason Sutton are only two points off the playoffs at ninth. You know, it's not a fluke win. This is their game plan. I think what we did do well, as as we mentioned earlier, was when that first goal went in, you could look at seasons gone by and say, oh, we've collapsed there and the players just kind of sat down and gave up. But I think what Cochrane has instilled in this team is um, a real resilience and a real attitude of fight to the last moment. You can kind of see that with the substitutions at times, not really wanting to settle for a draw. So I think it's good that we have that resilience. We have that um, fire to fight till the very last minute. Um, But I think the one thing that he probably will get on to the strikers about is the finishing, the shooting. You mentioned the Sanzala chance where it felt like he had about a million minutes to <laughs> pick a place and shoot, and he just ends up firing at the keeper. I'm not sure how he's going to react to Priestley Park with Harson trying a, a scorpion kick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, not, yeah. It was a scorpion kick whilst being fouled, fouled, which I thought was impressive. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, if that went in, that would have been the goal of the season. But um, I think you might have a little word with him tomorrow when they go back to training. But the resilience is definitely our high, our high point and. I think all the other problems we've got in regards to finishing and passing can be easily ironed out within a week or two. Yeah, yeah, I think the the resilience point is a, a really 
if it's a one. Um, and I mean, all of that brings me on to, I guess, the big question really of the pod and the thing that a lot of us have been um, speculating on, which is, you know, if if we take as read that we are now safe from the drop, what should be our aim for the season? Um, Coco has said that the, the playoffs are out of reach, which I think is, is uh, fair enough. But we all want to finish the season strongly and to take momentum into next year, which I think we conspicuously failed to do uh, this season. So what's a good target? I'm not too sure. I think we are clear of relegation as it stands. We are um, 11 points above Crawley, but albeit they've got two games in hand over us and to they magically pull themselves clear, we're still nine points clear of Hartlepool who have played two more than us. So I think looking at the table and trying to say, oh, well, that team's got that many points and that team's got that many points is a little bit complicated with how many cancellations there have been this season. I think 50 points is a, a good a benchmark for us. We're on 37 at the moment. We've got 14 games left. So if you look, that's roughly a point per game. It's not out of reach and it's not too unrealistic. Uh, I think just as long as we remain within League Two and then we put all the focus of next season in the summer and how we recruit and who we keep on contract and who we let go, I think just as long as we can keep in the league, wherever that is, from you know, 22nd or 7th. Fair enough. Esme, what about you? Anything above relegation, I'm happy, but I think mid-table is definitely preferable. Well, I, I was thinking about this the other night, um, and I feel like a good target would be to try and finish ahead of AFC Wimbledon. They're five points ahead of us, but we get to play them on our own turf in a few weeks' time. Um, and you know any any target is arbitrary, but they feel like quite a good sort of par team, if you know what I mean, for the middle of this division. If we could overhaul them, that would suggest that we've maintained decent form and potentially beaten a side who, like us, have sort of bottomed out a bit this season and, and are going to be aiming higher next year. So that's my kind of benchmark is can we overhaul or at least get get really close to overhauling AFC Wimbledon between now and May? Um, and that's that's what I'd like to see is. Uh, aim for uh, over the the last couple of months. Right, let's get on to some quick-fire questions. Let's do player of the pod. Uh, Esme? You know, I was thinking about this earlier, and I I think Cameron Norman, definitely. I think he's he's just so consistent, isn't he? And he just likes to wind up the opposition, which is just, it's just funny to watch, isn't it? Yeah, I loved watching on Saturday in the warm-up, him and David Pipe having a chat. And I mean, there are, <laughs> if ever you wanted like some kindred spirits, it's those two. You know, they they both they both know how the game works at this level. Um, and, and yeah, I think Cameron Norman, not just for what he does with the ball at his feet, but what he does in terms of all of the um, the fun and games around it. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good shout indeed. How about you, Ollie? I'm, I'm going to go with I'm Mickey Dimitrio. Um... <laughs> Whoa, wait, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, so, listeners, that noise you hear is the klaxon to uh, remind me of some very important news that we need to impart to listeners and to the panel. 
Um, we had a voice note through to the pod uh, from regular listener uh, Hamid, who wanted to pick us up on our pronunciation. So thank you. Um, and here's the voice note. Hello, 1912. Regards to the pronunciation of Mickey's name, I've been told it's a vegetarian name, so there's no meat in it. So it would be pronounced Demetriou, not Demetriou. So good vegan name there. Maybe you should play Forest Green. Thank you very much, Hamid, for that. And we will endeavour to get it right from now on. So, Ollie, what was the point that you were about to make about Mickey Dimitriou? Yeah, that'll be my homework from this part is uh, right. to try and learn the proper pronunciation. But I feel like in, in terms of leaders and uh, in terms of players which you associate with Newport County, I think there are a few and far between who are better examples than Mickey. Um, obviously, with the goal um, uh, against the team with a no Barrow. No, Barrow and Hartlepools, isn't it? That's, that's the ones Barrow and Hartlepool. Um, it's obviously easy to point at that, but I think he's just been consistent. He's really been the glue in the mid, uh, the glue in the defence, and he's kind of held up well, and he is maintaining that Newport County legend status. Yeah, I, I agree, and Coughlin made the point um, that Mickey slipped up twice at Carlisle um, and, you know, we were bad that day. We'd have lost whatever, I think. But um, after that, there was a real sense of, uh, can he bounce back from that? And my goodness me, as he bounced back and, and led the team in, in the way that a captain and a leader should do. Thank you very much, Mickey Dimitriou. And I'm going to keep practicing as well. We will get there. We will get there. My player of the pod. I mean, I'm very tempted to go with Cam Norman uh, as well, but I think I'm going to give it to Omar Bogle because I thought the way he, he played against Stevenage was great. But I, it's more also for the fans' reaction to him because there was a real sense yesterday of like, right, okay, all is forgiven. You're back. We we've all said things and done things that that perhaps we regret. You know, the fans have perhaps been a bit unkind to him. He, I, I think, perhaps is uh, you know, there's a bit of shushing after he scored the goal against Stevenage, which I think he's entitled to do. But there was a real sense yesterday as he was warming up and when he came on that the fans were trying to kind of get behind him. Um, and so I hope that that he responds in kind. And yeah, that that uh, love hate relationship that we talked about, I think, uh, is now kind of. Firmly coming down on the side of love. So that's always good to see. Let's have some predictions. So um, you pointed out that, yeah, I've written down on my list. Of course, we've got um, Salford away next Saturday and then we're at home to Bradford following Saturday, the 11th of March. But um, yeah, we've got Grimsby in between those, which I completely forgot about because it was the, the postponed one from the end of January. So we've got three games coming up, Salford away, Grimsby away and Bradford at home. How many points are we going to get from those, um, Esme? Oh, I'm not sure. I think Salford's going to be a tricky one because they're in playoffs, so they're in pretty good form. So I think I'd be happy with a draw from that, honestly. I think that'll be pretty good. And then we've got Grimsby. They're two above us. What's that? A couple of points, one point above us. So I think we've got a pretty strong chance of winning that one, especially if we're only playing one next week. But then comes to Bradford after playing two. So with them just below playoffs, I think that I'd happily take a draw with that as well. So five points I'd be happy with. 
anything above as well. <laughs> How about you, Ollie? Higher, lower? I'm going to see just about the same five points. You look at um, Salford, they're just about in the playoff mix. Um, Grimsby will be a bit more of an accurate representation of where we are and uh, it'll be a bit more telling because, um, as as me said, they are just a point above us and two places above us. So you kind of expect a bit more of a level match from there. And then Bradford, uh, another team who are within that playoff pack, you know, you'd be happy with five points. I think um, Ian Street would say nine out of nine, possibly even ten. Um, but I think five is sort of a, a realistic marker for where we should be. Yeah, I think I, I'd probably go four. Um, but as you said, you know, a point a game um, at, at this point is is satisfactory. So, yeah, if we can get four out of those um, three matches, I, I'd be okay with that. I think Salford is going to be tricky Grimsby on a Tuesday night, and again, we seem to be quite liking these uh, long travels. So yeah, maybe we'll go and get a, a win at Grimsby and then a, a draw against Bradford. So, but I think that that will be quite a revealing little trio of, uh, of fixtures. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. Any shout outs or beefs? Um, I'm I want to give a shout out to Cake Lab because on uh, on the last pod, Reese called out the people at Cake Lab for having a pitch side advert that uh, was adver- advertising their uh, deserts rather than desserts. Well, we got a lovely reply from them on Facebook, and they seem like very very good people, uh, and they also do make excellent cakes. So kudos to them. Ollie, the fans who um, encourage players to shoot when they have the ball <laughs> from about 25, 30 yards out. Still thinking that we've got Scott Twine in the team who can score from pretty much any place on the pitch. Personally, I'd much rather us see it go out to the wings and then get crossed into the middle and maybe tapped in or headed in. But I think there's a lot of fans who just want that excellent moment and the whole camaraderie of a long shot going in. So that might just be a, a personal beef, but that is my beef of the past. Uh, I think that's a that's a good shout. Well, we'll we'll let people ponder on uh, whether you're referring to them or not. Right. Well, before we finish, I promised you all an important announcement, and here it is. Um, we have got some new 1912 Exiles merchandise out, uh, inspired by the recent transfer window. When any tweet from the club, no matter how innocuous, provoked the same response from keyboard warriors and bored teenagers, so you can now buy a mug bearing the words hashtag announce Boney. Uh, and the 1912 Exiles logo for the bargain price of £10. Um, all profits will be fed back into the pod so that we can keep making great content. Um, if you prefer, look on it as a donation to your favourite Newport County podcast and uh, we'll send you a free mug into the bargain. So you can you can decide either way how you want to look at it. Um, we'll be posting details of how to buy the mug via our social media platforms uh, during the week. Um, £10, including postage, although if you're able to collect it from us at a game, then that is obviously easier for all concerned. So check them out and get in touch to reserve yours today. That just about wraps us up. Um, all that remains is for me to thank Reese and Esme. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Um, and thank you all for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. But until then, as always, look out for each other pronounce Mickey Dimitriou's name correctly, and keep it counting. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.